So we are, we are kicking off our Advent sermon series uh, today uh, because this is the first Sunday in Advent. Seemed like the right time to start the Advent sermon series. Uh, and the, the title for this uh, year is A Very Marysville <laughs> Christmas. Okay? And you all see how we spelled that different? Yeah, okay, you get it. I just don't think it's funny. Okay. Um, so um, as, a, as a part of that, uh, we're going to kind of be walking through some of the Old Testament sort of prophecies. Uh, and, and kind of as we get grappled with this, we've done Advent for years and years. As long as I've been here, we've done Advent. Um, and it, it occurred to me that in some sense, it's always kind of been an insider thing. It's Advent. It's all us Christians, that sort of thing. Uh, and I was just challenged to think about Advent in terms of our community. Uh, and so here, here's kind of the question that has been uh, on my heart. Um, assuming this works. There we go. How does the birth of the Savior make a difference in Marysville, Washington? That seems like a really good question. How does the birth of the Savior make a difference in our place, where we live, the, the people we have as neighbors, the, the businesses where we're a part of it, the, the, the homes that are around us, our, our government, our schools, our, our, our places of business? Does it really matter in Marysville, Washington? Oh, good. About six of you. <laughs> Let me try it again. Does it really matter? Yes. Oh, good. Because if you're not on board with that, then I've got a different sermon I've got to preach about, about this whole part of it. And so uh, that, that's kind of where we're going with this, that, that it would be a Marysville uh, Advent, that we would come out of this place not just feeling good about what we had learned or what we had experienced, but that we would pour into our world and we would make a difference, that we would bring the Advent season, this time of preparation for the Savior, uh, to the community around us. Um, so we've been, uh, for the last uh, six, seven months, we've been kind of talking about a memory verse that goes with every, uh, every sermon series. Uh, and so the memory verse uh, today, we're going to have a little bit of a lag here for those of you that are watching us uh, online with our, other, um, with our TV here, uh, is one that you're familiar with. Most of you think it's from the New Testament, from reading the, Christ, the Christmas story, but it's actually from Isaiah. Uh, so let's, let's read this together, and over the next four Sundays, y'all are going to memorize it so you have it perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Let's do it one more time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. So, um, like I said, we're going to cover a lot of the Old Testament stuff. We're going to talk about the prophecies. Advent is a time of kind of moving towards the birth of the Savior, and most of you uh, understand uh, that, that the New Testament and the Old Testament kind of have a different perspective. So uh, the New Testament is the, the proclamation of the good news that we'll talk about on Easter and then as we go forward. But the Old Testament is kind of the record of God's work before Jesus, it's kind of all of the things that lead up. So there's a certain sense in which all of the Old Testament is Advent. It's a time of kind of waiting for the Savior, and you'll see that uh, in the prophecies that we, we looked at. Uh, but there's some things I need to tell you when I preach out of the Old Testament, because 
Um, it, it's written significantly before the New Testament, uh, and so there's some ways in which the literature of that period are, are a little bit different. Uh, and so just uh, to kind of give you an idea, uh, the Old Testament is very story-based, or what we call narrative. So like when you read Paul, he's got kind of all these logical arguments, and he's got words that are precisely kind of defined, and I, I, I often will define those for you. We'll talk about culture. But in the Old Testament, it's a lot of the story of God, of how God interacts with people and how that works out, which is why sometimes the passages are really, really long uh, in, in there, and so we have to kind of pick and choose our pieces of it. But it's a lot about story and narrative, and that's good because we all like stories, amen? I mean, stories are just way more fun than studying philosophy. So uh, the other thing that is helpful to know is the Old Testament does a lot of word pictures. It's what we call pictorial theology. So they, they, they paint images of what God is like. So Paul wants to break it down into all the pieces of what God's like. But in the Old Testament, they just draw a picture. So wonderful counselor. That's a wonderful picture. Prince of Peace, that's a, a wonderful picture. And sometimes, and including in the passage we're going to look at today, those images are coming so fast it's hard for us kind of to keep up with them because we're not really as story-based uh, as they are. But I want you to watch for word pictures. Um, and then we need to talk just a little bit about prophecy uh, because in, in our world, um, the way people tend to handle prophecy, uh, especially if they're kind of engaged with dispensational theology, is they're kind of looking for all the parts and the pieces and what does this mean and what does that mean and they're trying to figure it all out and they're getting at all the details, which is a very Western American way to go at it. We want to know all the parts, everything, little piece of it. We live in a world that's filled with engineering, right? And engineers always have a gazillion questions about everything. Don't say amen right there. Get me in trouble, okay? But, but that's the way we look at it. But actually, prophecy really wasn't written like that. That particular kind of literature was more about the big picture and the end of the story. And, and so uh, I just want you to understand that, that as we look at prophecy, sometimes we're going to kind of look at the big picture of all of this. So I, 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 here's the way I kind of illustrate it when I think about prophecy. Um, if you take the story, how many of you are familiar with the story of Cinderella? Right? Yeah, and there's all kinds of pieces in there about, you know, a wicked stepmother and wicked stepsisters. It's a horrible image of step things because they're not all wicked like that. And there's, you know, there's a prince and there's a big ball and there's, there's uh, you know, shoes and, and all of that kind of thing that runs through that whole thing. But at the end of the day, it's actually not about those things. The, the, the point of the story, the moral of the story, and those kinds of stories is kind of what at the end, and, and the moral of the whole story is that if you're courageous, good things can happen. That's kind of the point of the story, right? Cinderella stood up to everybody, and she went forward, and all you ladies are thinking, no, 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 the story is that you can get a prince if you try hard enough. <laughs> you're going, I don't know whether I tried it. Wait, we won't go there. <laughs> That's actually not the point of the story. The point of the story is about courage. And, and so the same is true with, with, with prophecy. There's usually a larger point that's really important. So take the book of Revelation, right? There's all kinds of stuff in the book of Revelation that you go, what in the world is that about? But the point of the Rev book of Revelation is God wins in the end. Man, that's, that's the point. I mean, it all leads up to that. And just the, this is another side note. If you've never read Revelation in one sitting, do it. Because if you try and get caught in the details, you get confused off. But if you just like read it straight through, it just, it builds emotionally with this thing. And you get to the end of those last couple of chapters when the lamb wins and it's like, woohoo! It'll just, it'll bless the tar out of you, you know. You didn't know you had any tar to be blessed out of you, did you? Okay. 
So let's, let's actually, now that I've lost in that, let's get to Isaiah. So this morning, uh, we're going to uh, look at the passage that was uh, read as we lit the, uh, the candle this morning, uh, Isaiah 61, 1 uh, through 3. Uh, and just, uh, just so you know, the prophet Isaiah is one of the most prolific prophets uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, and, and the prophecy is going to talk about Messiah. Uh, anyone know what the word Messiah means literally? It's anointed one. And so you're going to see that in our text where they talk about an anointing uh, that, that happens in Scripture. And so anointing, you all know this, anointing was a really big deal. It represented God's choosing, it represented God's blessing, and it often represented uh, a mission. So I'm going to read through uh, the first three, uh, the three uh, verses, and then we'll come back and break them down a little bit. So um, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord uh, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, starting to see these images, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So let's jump into this uh, a little bit with the first part. The Spirit of the Lord uh, is on me uh, and uh, because the Lord has anointed me. And so we've already talked about the fact, uh, number one, it's the Spirit of God that's doing this, and it's anointing uh, the prophet, but later we come to understand that this is actually Jesus that's being talked about, okay? Uh, and so he is here on, on a mission from God. He has a, an anointing, a, a, an empowering, whatever you want to call it, that comes from God. And so just to kind of look at it from the other side, that's helpful sometimes. Jesus did not come as a tourist to earth. Amen? Okay. He's not just kind of checking out the restaurants and looking at the sites and kind of seeing how everybody's doing. He came on a mission and with a purpose and with a direction. Amen? You've all done this. If you've ever traveled for work, you know, you go to a, a city and, and you, you work the whole time. You see the airport and the, the hotel room and, and maybe the office and then you, you come back and people will say, hey, how was that place? And you're like, I don't know, because you were working the whole time, right? And, and so it is with Jesus. Jesus came on a, on a mission with divine anointing from God. And so we kind of need to remember that as we get into this. And so now the rest of this is going to kind of look at what that mission uh, looked like in, in, in this, this context. So uh, here it is. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has uh, in, in this. And so when you hear the word poor there, we, we think economically, right? When I say the poor, you automatically think people that are homeless or, or struggling or on the bubble or, or not making it. Uh, maybe some of you think about, hey, I'm one of them. <laughs> Those be my people. But, but the word, the Hebrew word there, actually carries the idea of people who are afflicted or needy or downtrodden or abused or taken advantage of. Uh, and so it's really the people who are powerless, who they have no control over their life. They are probably poor financially uh, as well, but, but it's much broader than this. And so I, I just want you to get a hold of that. If you ever find yourself in that category where, where your life is outside of your control, where, where you don't have any power, God has a message for you. It's a part of the mission uh, of Christ. Uh, and then he talks about uh, the, the brokenhearted as, a, as another category. And the, it's a really interesting word picture there because it's not just the idea of being broken, but it's actually the idea of being broken into all kinds of pieces. We'd probably call it shattered. So if you feel like you're broken, 
If you feel like your life has been shattered, this is for you. Thousands of years ago, God was thinking of you and your situation, and it was a part of Christ's very mission on earth. It's a part of this Advent season, this Advent time, this Christmas that come. That, that is for you. And then the next section when he talks about freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. It, it, it's, 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 again, it's a wonderful image that's kind of in this. The, the captives one is actually a word they would use for people who have been taken prisoner in war. And they've been, they've been drug off to some other sort of place. And, and for them, he gives them freedom for the captives. So freedom. And the word freedom here is, is also just, just wonderful. It actually carries the idea of running free. You know, it's the idea, the image I get is somebody, that, that, there's this giant field. Okay, I know I have too much imagination. It's all right, it's all right. Okay, running in this field, and they've just broken out of jail, right? And, and they're like, yeah, and they're running as fast as they can. And that's the image. Whatever captures you, Christ wants freedom for you. And, and the prisoner ones, it's, it's the idea of, of tying. The word literally means to tie their hands to them. And, and so the image for them is they get um, release from darkness for the prisoners. And, and the release for darkness, it carries the idea of like eyes wide open. So like have you ever been in a dark place for a long time and all of a sudden you step out into the bright sun and you go, ah, that, that's, that's actually what it's talking about. That, that, that if, if, you're, if you're held captive, if you're in prison, that, that Christ wants to free you from that. And it's been such a cool experience that you're going to go, oh, wow, it's so bright out here. Welcome to the world. So let me kind of just sum up all of that with this. If you are poor, and poor that, that we talked about, or powerless, or brokenhearted, or broken, if you are held captive by drugs or compulsions or something else, Messiah came for you. Amen. Thanks be to God. Look at the person next to you and say, Messiah came for you. Almost everybody at some point has had this going on in their life. There have been things that have fallen apart and life hasn't gone well. And, and just, I, I can't even begin to describe all of the ways in which that happened. But I want you to know that it wasn't just Jesus that came to say that. Years, decades, thousand years before, that, that God is saying, he's coming and he's coming for you. And that's the good news for us. Amen? Amen. Okay. Verse 2, so it goes on, kind of makes it a little clearer. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And the Lord's favor, the word there is pleasure. And so I just want you to know in this passage what he's saying, if I could just put that in modern kind of Western English sort of word work, um, God is pleased with you. He takes pleasure in you. You bring him joy. How many of you are parents? Okay. Do your children bring you joy? Not all the time, but do that. Yes. Amen? Yes. They, 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 there's something about that. And if you haven't gotten there yet, multiply by 100 when you get to grandkids. It's wonderful. They just bring me, I mean, they're into everything and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff and, and it, I got to get up and down off the floor and, it, you know, and yet they bring me such joy. Just the thought of them makes me smile. And that's what he's saying here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That when Christ came, we entered into the time of the favor uh, of the Lord. When you have bad circumstances and things are hard and it's not going the way you think it should, God is not punishing you. God is for you, not against you. 
This is the favor of the Lord. And then the, the vengeance of, of our God. And when we think of vengeance, we have a tendency uh, to think of that in terms of um, anger and, and kind of someone who, you know, you do a little thing and then they kind of do a big thing and it escalates. Actually, the word carries more the idea, the way it's used in the text, uh, carries more the idea of justice, right? And so there is a bit of a warning in the midst of this in the Lord's favor. It says, God is watching. He's paying attention. And those people that are abusers and harmful to people and destructive and hurtful, God's keeping track. Be careful. I am not a hellfire and damnation preacher by any stretch of the imagination because I'm a New Testament preacher and that's the good news. But I am here to tell you there's a day of reckoning coming for some of those folks. Scripture talks about a resurrection, you know, that one day we will rise to judgment. And, and God, God is paying attention. And if you're in that category, please, please change your ways. Find the forgiveness that you can know in Christ and the new life that can give you the life that is worth living. Amen? Amen. And if you've been on the receiving end of that kind of stuff and you don't know where to go with that, there's a reason why Scripture says that vengeance belongs to God because he's keeping track. He's keeping track. Amen? Boy, did that just kill the spirit right in here. So, so let, let, let's rush on past this. The last part of this is to comfort all who mourn. Uh, and I love that the Holy Spirit is called uh, the, the comforter in, in Scripture. And so he's coming back to this idea of mourning and sorrow uh, and all that goes with that. So he builds it a little more. We get to verse 3. He says, And provide for those who grieve. Mourning and grieving is about the same thing. To Zion, which is God's people, which is all of us, and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, garment of praise, and on and on it goes. So let's, let's look at these uh, a little bit here together. So uh, first one is a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And you all remember that in the Old Testament, the way that they mourned and they grieved was they would pour ashes all over them and they would wear sackcloth. Aren't you glad we don't do that today, you know? I mean, every time you come forward, you say, oh, man, there's this terrible thing going on in my, in my life. You know, this person passed away or that thing happened. And then I'm pouring ashes on your head. That would just be no way to do church at all. But, but the interesting thing is this picture that instead of ashes, you get a crown of beauty. And so the image is that you come to Christ in all of this brokenness and this sorrow for the one you've lost or what's happened in your life. And he kind of puts you in the shower and cleans you all up and, and then puts a crown on top of your head. And you exchange the mourning for a crown. And then he goes on and he talks about the oil of joy in, instead uh, of mourning. And you remember, that, and we've already talked about this, but, but oil represented God's blessing and God's choosing and God's commissioning and God's health. It's why we often anoint people who are sick with, with oil. We make the sign of the cross on their head and we pray for God to heal them because he told us to do that. Amen? Amen. Because our God heals. Have you heard my story about what happened to me? Let me try that again. Our God heals. All right, good. And the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I, I love this image uh, the, uh, of God gives us new clothing. So again, the sackcloth and the ashes. So when he gets you out of the shower, this is what he puts on you. He puts on you a garment of praise. This would be today a choir robe. 
We don't have choir robes. How many of you ever even know what a choir, never mind, few of you. <laughs> Somebody like, choir robe? What's a choir robe? <laughs> but, but he puts on you this garment of praise. And so the image here is so wonderful in that you start out with, this, with the ashes and all of that, and he, he cleans you up, and he puts a crown on your head, uh, and then he, he, he anoints you with oil, and then he puts on new garments of you that are the garments of praise. And I think about the book of Revelation when all of creation stands before God and says, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. I can't wait to be there. Amen? One day that's coming. That's the image of, of what God's mission is. He's moving us in that direction. And then I love this last little thing, because he changes our names, which is a really big deal in the Old Testament especially, but in, even in the New Testament. Names had meaning. The name was a reflection of your character, right? So my name is Craig Glenn Laughlin. Okay? Craig means a broken rock, a crag, you know? Glen means a valley, and Laughlin means by a lake. So I'm a broken rock in a valley by a lake. That's who I am. <laughs> I'm really glad we don't think that that's character anymore because I'd be in a lot of trouble. You know? But this was really important for the Hebrews, this idea that whatever your name was before, whatever condition God found you in, whatever the shape of your life and the brokenness and the shatteredness of it, when God gets done with you, he says, you are an oak of righteousness. An oak was a strong, powerful tree. Any of you ever tried to cut oak like with a handsaw? I mean, wow, what a way to build muscles. <laughs> it is hard to do that. And he's saying, you are, you are his, you are his oak of, of righteousness and a planting for the Lord for the display of his splendor. God looks down on you and says, that's my kid right there. That's my boy. That, that, that's my girl. I want you to look at what God has done, what we've done in, in, in their life. What a powerful proclamation of, of what it means. If there's any passage in Scripture I think that gives hope, this is it. That we would have hope that God can take our lives and change them and make them something uh, amazing. And, and so uh, here's what this kind of all comes down. I want to kind of jump in now with the, the larger picture. Prophecy is always about hope. Prophecy is always about hope. I know sometimes we get caught in the middle of different things and there's all this strange thing and we kind of think, okay, that's what it's about. It's not. You've got to read all the way to the end of the book with prophecy because prophecy always goes basically like this. There's some bad stuff going on in your life, but I want to fix it for you and give you hope. That's what it is. Also, all of it comes down to that in some sort of way or another. The warning and then, and then the promise in this. And, and so I, I'm going to give you some, some homework this morning. You up for some homework? Good. Doesn't matter whether you are or not. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so Isaiah 61 that we've kind of been looking at. I want you today, before you go to bed, I want you to read all of Isaiah 61 because there's a lot more in there, and it will give you hope. You'll get done with that. And remember, look for the pictures and the images of God and all of that sort of thing because you'll come right going, yes, our God reigns in the midst of all of the difficult circumstances. Our God reigns. And then... This is obvious. Messiah's mission was to bring hope to those who have none, right? Sometimes when we talk about hope because we tend to be wealthy Americans and we're all wealthy compared to the rest of the world, amen? Okay? We tend to think of hope as like, man, I hope I can get that bigger car this year. God gives me hope. That is not what he is talking about, okay? In fact, that sacrilege kind of a thing, you know? 
But his hope is for those of us that are broken and struggling and facing loss. So we're mourning, and, and that looks all kinds of, kinds of ways out there, that he has come to bring hope to those who have no hope. Now let me get just a little personal. Do you think there are people in Marysville, Snohomish County, that don't have hope? So what do you think it says that we would have a very Marysville Advent season, Christmas? Maybe he expects us to do something about that. You know? Maybe we're to be ambassadors of that hope to the people who have no hope in our community. It's really easy to talk about that in terms of the world, you know. Hey, let's take an offering for missions. I'm not against that. I'm for that. We give to missions, personally and as a church. But sometimes it's easy to let myself off the hook because of that stuff out there and not focus on what's happening in my community. Messiah's mission was to bring hope to those who have none. So let me kind of delve into hope a little bit. I think I do this almost every Advent season on the first Sunday. The Hebrew word for hope is chava. Say, chava. If you didn't get the person's head in front of you wet, you didn't say it right. Okay, Chava. Chava. Good. Um, and, and so it's important that you understand this, this word. We're talking about, when I say hope, I'm talking about chava. Because in English, the word hope is very different from the word chava. Because in English, the word hope is tentative, isn't it? You know, it's kind of uncertain, it's hesitant, it's unsure, it's provisional. We don't, we don't know about that. It's often the word we use when we talk about a long shot. It would be nice if, and you can kind of tell by the inflection of the voice that it's not going to happen, right? So around here, if someone says to you, it would be nice if it didn't rain this winter in western Washington. That's exactly what you do. You laugh, right? Because that's not going to happen. That's just wishful thinking. You know, it would be nice if the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, they're doing much better, but I don't think the Super Bowl is. It's kind of that long shot sort of thing, the way we think about that. But interestingly enough, in Hebrew and in the Greek word for this, the New Testament, it doesn't, it doesn't carry that idea of... of um, of tentativeness. In Greek and Hebrew, it carries the idea of expectation, anticipation, and confidence. That is the opposite of the way we think about hope. Expectation, anticipation, and confidence. And it's especially strong in the Hebrew word that refers to the idea of ropes being pulled together, strong cords to bind someone, or how more cords make it stronger, that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, so when they would use this, we wouldn't say, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow, would you? Because you know the sun is coming up. But in Hebrew, you might say, I chava, the sun comes up tomorrow. I'm confident. Now, we live in Washington, so you might not see it because of cloud cover, but it's going to come up tomorrow. Amen? That's the, way, that's the way it works. So biblically, uh, hope is about anticipation, not uncertainty. This is so important for you to understand. And this holds in both the New Testament and in the, the Old Testament. Let's read this together. Hope is about anticipation, not uncertainty. Let's do it one more time. Hope is about anticipation, not uncertainty, okay? So the way I think about this is the holiday season is perfect for this. So my kids are coming for Christmas, right? They weren't here for Thanksgiving. We gotta, you know, you've got to share with relatives once you get married, you know. Um, so looking forward to them coming. So I will say, I guarantee you when they're, when they're coming up that day, I'm going to say, I hope the kids get here soon. 
I am not saying that I am concerned whether or not they will get there. I am saying that I am eagerly anticipating their coming. Amen? Y'all get that with it. And so that's, that's what it's like. It's about. So actually, in some sense, hope is about trust. I trust God. Uh, he's going to make it happen. He's in charge of all of that. It's a welcoming sort of thing. The future is secure. It's just not here yet. That's what hope means, okay? It's, spiritually, it's I'll bet my life on, on this when we trust Christ. So, hope is a deep conviction that no matter how bad the circumstances, God's got this. Amen. Say, God's got this. Amen. Yeah, and, and we have a tendency to look at the circumstances to decide whether or not it's going to go well because we try to get under. But that's a, hope is like, no, 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 no. The circumstances are not the issue. The issue is, Who's, who's, who's God? Amen? Right. And God's got this. I put my trust in God no matter the circumstances or the outcome, outcome of it. And, and then um, hope is, is trusting God's will, God's way. Yeah, yeah that got real quiet because you've heard me say this before. I, I, I wish that hope was trusting that God would do what I want him to do. I, I really wish it. I really wish the prosperity gospel people were right but they're not. It's not what Scripture says. It is that I will trust God to do His will His way. And that's hard. Because sometimes God does what I want Him to do, but He doesn't do it the way I want Him to do. Anyone want to say amen right there? You know, if you've walked with the Lord about a minute, you figure, you figure that piece out of it. But here's the truth of it. God has a game plan for your life. He is involved in it. And, and additionally, and there's the hard part, God's will can only be accomplished God's way. Amen? As someone who's tried to take the wheel a few times and crashed the car and had to go, oh, Lord, please clean up my mess in all of this. God is the only one who is competent to give you the best life, the life he has for you. He loves you more than anyone else, and he can be trusted. So, Amen. So here's another part of that. Hope is not believing God will give me what I want, but God will give me what is best. Yeah, I, you walk with the Lord long enough, you'll say amen and go, oh, Lord. Because sometimes he gives me what I don't want. Now, I've walked with the Lord long enough, okay, that I, I recognize in the rearview mirror that it was the best thing for me. Have you ever noticed God's will rarely makes sense in the windshield, but always makes sense in the rearview mirror? Just something I've figured out over a period of time. But I am telling you that God's will for your life is always best. And if he's not giving you what you want, he's up to something in your life. I think of this as parental. Any of you that have raised children know that sometimes your kids want things that aren't good for them. And you have to give them what is best for them, not what they want. Amen? So it is in our relationship with God. In our tradition, we understand God from a, from a familial, a, a parent point, that God is, is our parent and we are the children. And that means sometimes we don't understand. That means sometimes he's not going to get us what we want, but it does mean that he will give us what is best. Amen? Amen? Okay? Hope. God is for you, not against you. Say this. Okay, now say this like this is a promise from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Okay? Look at the person next to you and say, God is for you, not against you. If our worship team would come, we are going to sing an ancient hymn of the church. Well, not terribly ancient. 1758. Is that ancient? 
well, if it's us, it's ancient, but it's, <laughs> it goes, it, it, it's, a, it's a praise of, uh, it's a song of praise for all that God has done. But if you listen to the words, it's also a request for God to do something in the midst of it. It's, a, it's Come Thou Fount. Familiar with the song Come Thou Fount? Okay, it's, a, it's an older style. I know for some of you it may be a little hard to get, but once you catch on to it, it, it goes pretty quick. And I, I just want you in this moment to just kind of turn your heart towards him as we prepare to sing this song together. And the one thing, the one word in there you're not going to understand is Ebenezer. Not Ebenezer Scrooge, okay? Ebenezer. It actually means an altar, an altar of remembrance for what God has done. And we've talked about in the Old Testament, they built altars so that they would remember. So two last questions for you. Uh, number one, what must we do to bring hope to Marysville? What must we do to bring hope to Marysville? Witness, for sure. I, I don't know. It probably looks different for all of you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you're involved in some sort of organization that could do I, I don't know. But this is the question I want to linger with you. And then the question I always ask, oops, not the bell thing there. What is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? That question's real annoying, isn't it? <laughs> I've been doing it for a year or so now. What is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? Where in your life is someone that needs hope? And if it's you this morning... I'm going to be down here, and the altar is open. And come and pray here. We would love, love to pray with you and offer you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because there is no better way to live. Amen? Amen? It's not easy always, but it really is a life worth living. So let me pray, and then we're going to sing together. Father God, Lord, I've said it the best I know how. And I know that most of the people, they've already got the hope, and they're celebrating the hope, and they're excited about the hope, and they want to share the hope with, with Marysville, with our community. So I pray, Father, that you would give us courage and strength. Help us to say it in a way that, that others can understand, Father. And bless that, Father, that lives might be changed, eternal destinies might go in a new direction. But I also pray especially, Father, for that one that's here this morning and they don't have that hope. They want the hope. They, you've been speaking to them. And, and Father, I, I pray that in these moments as we sing this hymn, that they would turn their heart towards you. And Father, I pray that they would let you in, clean up their life. Thank you, God, that we don't have to clean up our lives before we come to you because you do that. And that you will give them hope and a, a new life, that you will make a change in, the, in their life, Father. I pray that you would just give them the courage to ask you in, to ask you to forgive their past and to make them new in Christ. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing, and if you'd like to pray, you're welcome to come. Hey church family, thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video and tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream or you can join us in person. We'll see you next week. God bless.